Welcome to episode 124 of the GTO on 5G. It's the latest insight scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 20 minutes, and it's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend, and joining me again this week is fellow analyst Anshul Sag. Let's get started. But before we do, just an apology. We, we missed a week. I was in London. Um, Anshul was traveling quite a bit. So we apologize to our viewers and listeners, but we've got an action-packed agenda today. I want to start with my first topic. And uh, this past week, Rakuten and Juniper Networks announced uh, an alliance to provide uh, RIC for free. And it got me thinking, what does this mean for 5G operator monetization opportunities? And so for those of you that don't know what a RIC is, that is a uh, RAN intelligent controller. And it's focused on uh, providing um, optimization for RAN functionality in an open RAN environment. And so um, I did share some insights on Twitter. And what I find compelling is typically RIC is something that Juniper has uh, monetized and charged for. And so with Rakuten, basically they're providing it for free. Now, I don't know the sort of the underlying um, arrangement between Juniper and Rakuten. I mean, Rakuten could be paying some sort of a licensing fee uh, yeah. to include it. But from my perspective, this really elevates um, their SimWorld platform. And, um, and they're, you know, from my perspective, Rakuten is addressing one of the key obstacles to open RAN adoption, which is the integration of it all. And what I like about this announcement as well is that, you know, not only um, is it a positive from, you know, a CapEx OpEx perspective, um, certainly it addresses some of the performance concerns that people have had with open RAN that originally was really focused on sort of more of a cost optimization versus a performance optimization. But certainly, you know, companies like Marvell and Qualcomm are providing silicon for accelerator cards there. But I just think, you know, th this, is, um, this is actually, it could be a very disruptive offering from my perspective to bundle this. And I actually got a preview uh, when I met with Tarek, uh, who's the CEO of Rakuten when he was at Mobile World Congress Americas. Um, but uh, that was under embargo, obviously, for a few weeks. But um, I know you don't really focus on architecture um, and infrastructure like I do, Anshul, but would love to get your um, your thoughts here. Yeah, that was actually the reason why I um, wanted to make sure you explained what a RIC was. Right. <laughs> I'm feeling a lot of people don't know, but yeah. you beat me to it, so I didn't have to interject and ask you to. Um, but in general, I think... That is a very good point about the fact that Juniper would normally charge for something like this. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, sorry, in my mind, it feels like there's some kind of new structure that they've created together where there's some revenue share or some, some profit sharing. Sure. Um, and that, you know, Rakuten can deliver the solution and Juniper gives it to them so that they can go forward and, and get this, you know, capability out in the, in the world. Yeah, because yeah. ultimately, you know, if Rakuten's offering it um, and a competitor wants to offer it, maybe they just come to Juniper and and they they, they pay for it that way. So, yeah, um, yeah. you know, you never know how these things go, but it sounds like it's definitely like a, a demand generating activity. Yeah, I agree. And what's interesting, um, I follow Juniper quite quite extensively on the enterprise networking side as well. Um, they've really been driving... Um, very good growth within their enterprise business. Traditionally, Juniper has been a very service provider um, oriented company, but with the acquisition of Mist and some other acquisitions, 
uh, and really what they've done to put together a full automation suite with Paragon, um, they're really seeing a lot of growth in enterprise. And, you know, and what's interesting, this there may also be a strategy here to continue to accelerate their growth in enterprise, because when you look at OpenRAN, um, that's a major component in a lot of the private 5G deployment scenarios, whether it's as a service or it's on-premise. And right. so this could actually drive, you know, additional revenue and profitability with an enterprise for, for private 5G adoption. Now, obviously, they're, they're not going to, um, you know, reap any, any revenue on, on RIC in, in this scenario. But, you know, I, I think it's pretty innovative and it's interesting. Um, I, I think Rakuten picked the right partner because um, I've, I've actually spent time with the service provider team um, at Juniper and their RIC platform is actually quite robust. So um, yeah, this is all interesting news. And uh, again, from my perspective, really addresses one of the big hurdles with adoption uh, when it comes to the, you know, the integration. And then you know, what I also like about this too is just um, the ability to, uh, to allow operators to, to more easily monetize you know, new services. But with that said, let's move to your first topic. And um, you were in Sonoma with MediaTek at um, their recent summit, and you want to share some updates from that. Yes, I'm traveling a lot, um, and we both that's are. Part, <laughs> that's part of the reason why I missed, or we were unable to find a time to, to record last week. Yeah. Um, this week, uh, I just got back last night from this, um, which is why we're recording on a Sunday instead of recording on a Friday or a Thursday. Um, but basically, their executive summit is where they make a lot of their big announcements um, for chipsets coming in the next year. So um, they announced their new Dimensity 9200, um, which is a 5G uh, SoC. Uh, has all the latest cores from ARM. So it's got a Cortex-X3, 710, 510. It's got the Immortalis 17 GPU with ray tracing. And it has their latest uh, 5G modem which is capable of millimeter wave. So this is actually their first flagship flagship chip with millimeter wave built in. Obviously you have to still have all the front end and the modules to make that happen. Um, but this is, this is a, you know, another opportunity for MediaTek to reach feature parity with some of their competitors, yeah. uh, whether that be Samsung or Qualcomm. Mm -hmm. um, and then on top of that, they also announced the T800, um, which is a thin modem specifically for non- smartphone applications. So um, this is likely going to be uh, announced as the next step in Intel's 5G PC uh, aspirations. Mm -hmm. um, I currently have the HP uh, Dragonfly G3, which has the T700 in it. So um, this is going to be a very interesting chipset to see how they use it um, in different applications outside the smartphone um, because they, you know, they use the smartphone SOCs for that yeah. um, and they don't really sell the modem separately except for to Intel. But I believe we'll see this in more IoT applications and potentially yeah. other types of devices that need a 5G modem that's you know not as expensive as maybe some other solutions. So it'll yeah, be really yeah. interesting to see how that rolls out. And then you know I think the non-5G announcement, which was a big deal at the show or at the summit was that they announced that they're going to they are a, um, one of the major suppliers um, for the new PlayStation VR headset, supplying some SOCs custom for for Sony's new VR headset coming next year. So mm -hmm. um, that's not really a 5G announcement, but uh, as far as 5G announcements go, those were the big ones. 
And um, I'd love to, to hear your, your thoughts on that. Yeah, so um, I tuned into a little bit of the virtual session, um, sort of off and on. It was uh, it was a marathon. It was like several hours, but I think at a high level, what I'm impressed with is um, MediaTek really sort of stepping up their offering, and they've traditionally been sort of in that value category. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, having an additional competitor to the companies that you mentioned, I think, is a good thing because it's gonna it's gonna set the bar higher. You know, sort of, you know, it raises the water level, um, you know, for 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 everyone, and um, yeah, and so I, you know, I think from my perspective that that's pretty uh, compelling. I had one question though because I didn't get the the details on on the T eight hundred. Did they share like what that sort of that that bill of material for for that piece of silicon, you know, costs relative to say, you know, a full a full a full 5G modem solution. I mean, is it is it 30% less, 40% less for these thinner device applications? They didn't really say. Um, I think we'll probably find out more uh, once devices start to roll out and market with this chipset. Yeah. Um, there weren't that many details about it, and that's why um, I actually wrote an article, um, and that will be publishing early next week, kind of covering all the different things that were announced at at the summit. Cool. Um, as well as some other coverage that I've been trying to get out because, you know, trying to balance time between travel and attending things and writing things is always, a, a, you know, a difficult challenge for us analysts. So it, Yeah, it really is. I mean, I know you've been on the road several weeks in a row. I, I think, you know, I've been on the road like after next week, it'll be eight weeks in a row. I get one week break and then I'm in Riga for 5G Tecretory. And we're hoping to have um, someone from uh, that event on a future standalone podcast in the next couple of weeks, because that'll be coming right after Thanksgiving. So stay tuned there. But let me go to my second topic this week. And I want to talk about Cradle Point. And I've been spending quite a bit of time with Ericsson and Cradle Point lately. Um, Cradle Point last week announced availability of um, their 5G optimized SD-WAN platform. And so, you know, why is this a big deal? Well, it's a big deal when you think about um, organizations that are cellular first in, in their strategy, and a lot of them are, um, especially manufacturers as they're looking to automate, you know, their, their manufacturing, their OT environments and that sort of thing. Um, I actually uh, collaborated with Cradle Point and um, right before the announcement published a research brief and you can find it on the More Insights and Strategy website. I've also shared it on my social media channels as well. But um, I've coined a term, so take this, Gartner, <laughs> converged 5G WAN edge. Now, that might sound like a mouthful, but it's the whole notion of the convergence of 5G SD-WAN and zero trust security all coming together. And what's interesting is that um, with Cradle Point's announcement, dig it, if, if you care to dig into it, I shared the announcement last week on, on my Twitter handle as well. Um, what's interesting is that um, the ability to optimize SD-WAN in a, an LTE or a 5G world um, provides some interesting capabilities from um, a network slicing perspective. And certainly Solona is leaning into that with, uh, with its platform. Uh, they talk about micro slicing you know, within their private 5G platform. But really from my perspective, when, when you think about SD-WAN, it's been a very crowded market. At one point there were over a hundred vendors that were vying for position. There's been some consolidation with some acquisitions, um, certainly um, HPE acquiring Silver Peak. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, when when you when you kind of look at SD-WAN, it was it was really created for a traditional 
um, campus and branch environment. And, and certainly now hybrid work is the norm as we put the pandemic in the rearview mirror and uh, an SD-WAN has to step up and adapt to that. So um, from that perspective, I find it super compelling. So if you'd like to learn more, again, you can go to the More Insights and Strategy website. You can um, download that research brief for free. And, uh, and also I participated in a LinkedIn Live um, event with Cradle Point where we talked about this subject. Um, that is available if you, if you go look both at my Twitter and my LinkedIn profiles, I shared that link from last week as well. But I, I know that's a mouthful. Um, anything you wanna add there or any insights, Anshul? No, not really. I, I, I don't think I have uh, enough knowledge in that area to really contribute anything valuable. Oh, cool. Well, let's move, let's move to your second topic then. And you want to talk about uh, Link NYC and Link 5G towers, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah. So um, Link NYC is like a public service that the city of New York um, offers to give people better cellular coverage and access to the internet if they don't have cell coverage mm -hmm. using, you know, piggybacking on different types of networks. Um, and there are, plans to have 2,000 of these across the city, um, in addition to the private cellular networks infrastructure. And they're placing these specifically in public spaces where the city of New York owns the property, like the sidewalk. Mm -hmm. um, and apparently there's um, some unhappy residents um, in the Upper East Side. Um, <laughs> Shocking. Is, you know, a traditionally uh, wealthier part of town. Yeah. Um, and they're unhappy... Um, they're trying to claim that the 5G tower impacts their health, and yeah, that's why yeah. it needs to be removed. Um, but basically, this is a, uh, you know, it's kind of a public service. And um, I'll be honest with you, I don't think they're the prettiest looking things. Right. Um, I think I think they, I think think Link NYC um, could have done better to make these devices look better because they basically look like um, giant Q-tips. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I don't know how else to describe them, yeah. but um, it's a big, thick hole that looks like you would have a light at the end of it. But then you've got about five little notches for different types of antennas that are inside of a shroud. Um, it's not very visually appealing. I think that's the main reason why these people want to get rid of them. But they're trying to use the, the health argument um, that radiation might be a concern. And... It's not. Um, but yeah, this is just an interesting thing. It's it's gotten into the New York Post. I saw it on some other publications. I think it was uh, RCR covered it as well. So, yeah. um, you know, it's it's a 5G tower, but like, you know, people people want better coverage, but they don't really want to have the infrastructure or see it in, in, in their in their way. Yeah. And, you know, I get it. You know, the architecture, you know, in the city of New York is amazing. Um, the, you know, it's it's interesting that, you know, this company didn't do its research because, you know, I've I spent time recently with AT&T and we were in New Orleans and we did a we did a drive around and, and they were showing us some some strand mounts that blend really well with, you know, um, sort of the, the the old style, you know, lampposts that you see, you know, all over the French Quarter. And then, you know. In places like Colorado, um, I've seen, you know, antenna configurations, they, they, they're green, they try to make them blend in, you know, with, with the trees and the surrounding environment and that sort of thing. So I, I think this company could have uh, done a little more homework, but a quick question for you. So um, 
was there any sort of information sort of behind this initiative? So is this part of, you know, kind of the, you know, the rural, I mean, obviously, you know, New York City is not in a rural part of, of the country, but right. did they leverage any sort of federal funds to, to do this? Because it, it seems to me like it's, it feels like sort of a digital divide thing, right? Providing oh, it absolutely is. That's the whole purpose of Link NYC. Like, okay. Uh, Link NYC exists specifically to bring Wi-Fi into underserved communities. Got it. Okay. And, and that's why, like, this is such a, um, you know, a polarizing topic, because for some communities that don't have issues with Internet access, um, you know, they want they don't want these devices. But right. in order to build a network, you need to deploy it everywhere, not in just the places you, you right. think you want it the most. So, yeah. um, you know, apparently they have um, 20, kiosk, 20 of these um, 5G sites in place. They're calling them kiosks, um, but um, they're basically cell towers with like a little bit of a screen, a very small little screen. They use the, the first generation of these Link NYC devices look like video um, video ad boards that oh, you would okay. see. Um, but I, I think you know they they maybe pulled back on that design and went a little bit more like with the tower to to focus more on the coverage, right? Because right. ultimately the 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 cell coverage and the Wi-Fi coverage is what makes this useful. But I actually have previously talked to some journalists about this and looked over some of the, um, you know, the, the the engineering capabilities of these devices and like what they look like. Yeah. And what's interesting is um, they they do deliver, you know, multiple millimeter wave opportunities for carriers as well. So yeah. the top two antennas are for millimeter wave operations. Okay. And then the next ones for sub six or CBRS slash IOT, and so was the other one. And the bottom one's actually for Wi-Fi, for public Wi-Fi coverage. Okay. And then there's even more slots for other operator equipment. So there's like literally like I'm counting one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven opportunities for operators to slot in some kind of yeah. connectivity. And yeah, no, that's why I think it's, it's valuable. No, it sounds super compelling. You know, uh, sort of a neutral host scenario there, and you know especially for millimeter wave, you know, you're going to have to have that densification um, given the propagation challenges, which that is a great segue to my third and final topic. So I want to talk about Samsung networks and a recent 5G millimeter wave uh, proof of concept in Australia and, and why it's important. So um, basically Samsung has stated that they've hit a, a milestone here in Australia um, so they've been able to prove a very high performance link over a 6.2 mile expanse. And so, right. you know, I, I don't, you know, I think our viewers and listeners understand, you know, um, why that's important. Um, you know, and there are other companies that are, that are very focused on extending the propagation, um, uh, of millimeter wave like Mavandi and, and that sort, but it, it's, it's great to see. Samsung, who um, obviously has risen to become, you know, one of the top, you know, uh, cellular infrastructure providers relative to um, Ericsson and Nokia, um, really demonstrate this because um, this is going to be really important to figure out the propagation challenge with millimeter wave. But um, what are your thoughts? I think this has been an ongoing topic. Um, I think a lot of different vendors have have been trying to show off you know, what the, the maximum distance uh, is that they can achieve with millimeter wave mm -hmm. because, you know, with fixed wireless, um, the further you can prove you, 
your your technology can reach um you know the the better you're able to convince somebody that they can if they put up a mast high enough with millimeter wave you can you know serve a whole neighborhood with yeah. one cell site right so um i think it's good to see that companies are continuing to try to push the envelope on millimeter wave um you know it seems like millimeter wave has kind of taken a back seat to midband when it comes to um a lot of fixed wireless as we're seeing today right um but i think there are some applications where it does make sense and you know maybe that that spectrum uh is easier to at attain um and it, it, maybe it's a good thing that people aren't fully abandoning millimeter wave yet um but i think i think we're actually going to see a resurgence of millimeter wave probably in the next couple of years as yeah. as midband capacity starts to fill up um, with Not users yet. and applications. So um, yeah. we're going to need millimeter wave, whether it's long reaching or, sh or short reaching um, to kind of uh, alleviate the, the congestion that will inevitably happen yeah. uh, with 5G and midband, which kind of teased me up for my next topic. Well, why don't you uh, get at it? <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, this is something that I read in RCR from our friend Sean Kinney, yeah. and this was a uh, 5G millimeter wave standalone test. Um, this was done in China with uh, CCT, CICT Mobile, uh, Shang, Nokia Shanghai Bell, and ZTE using a Qualcomm Snapdragon X65 modem, um, which isn't the latest. Uh, the X70 is their latest, mm -hmm. um, and they were able to achieve 7.1 gigabits per second downlink and 2.1 gigabits per second uplink with a latency of 3.6 milliseconds. That's crazy. <laughs> and and I think, you know, to your point, uh, that latency is incredibly good. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's even better than I think what most people have seen so far. Um, and I think this is a really critical thing to talk about because I actually think China is going to be the the next big millimeter wave market after the US. Yeah. Um, because I think China's density um is going to lend to it extremely well. Mm -hmm. Um and I think all the Chinese operators know this um and are uh eagerly uh, awaiting the uh, availability of the spectrum and the infrastructure. Um, and you know, obviously the densification is not going to be cheap or easy for them, no. but I think it's also going to pay off a lot more in urban areas for, for China. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why we're seeing, you know, MediaTek uh, supporting millimeter wave in all of its chipsets because so many of their customers are um, Chinese OEMs. Yeah. And I, I just think we're seeing a lot of different pieces of this millimeter wave pie um, starting to come back together again. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, so many devices already supporting millimeter wave and having that capability only lends to its, value being realized much more quickly than I say, you know, say in 2019 when it was first launched. Yeah. Now you made some some great points here and, and earlier when we were talking about Samsung and one is around capacity. And when you look at, you know, fixed wireless access and, and the growth uh, with T-Mobile, they're going to hit a threshold where they, they, they cannot afford to impact their, their, their mobile users. And so, Millimeter wave is going to be a natural next step. I also agree with you that you know likely China is going to be the first um, to really deploy it in a, in a in a big fashion, and and I also agree with your point that um, basically 
given the CPAN um, auction and the dollars that were spent there, all of the efforts right now are going to, at least in the U.S., are going to be based on building out those mid-band, uh, those mid-band assets. And so I think we'll start seeing millimeter wave in pockets. Um, certainly, you know, we've talked about the venue, sporting venue, you know, type type application and use case. Verizon's been leading very heavily into that with its ultra wideband service. But um, yeah, I think you're right. It's like I think over the next, you know. 18 to 24 months, it's going to be mid-band, mid-band, mid-band. And then I think, you know, uh, as the operators get through that, then they'll turn a millimeter wave and they'll deploy that um, where it makes sense. But with that, it's been a great podcast. So uh, before you head off to uh, Hawaii, Anshul, why don't you take us home? Absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners found this, this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to provide insights on a specific 5G topic for a future podcast, Please reach out to us on social media. Will's at Will Town Tech and I'm at Anshel Sock. We hope you have a great weekend. Please tune in again next week.